So we're going to start in Zechariah chapter 8, just welcoming our guests from uh, the other cohorts. Good to have you guys. We love you. It's been a while. Missed you. Snowboarding is not as fun as being here. Amen. I'd rather be here than snowboarding. Amen. How many would rather be here than any other place? You know, the old-time preachers used to say, I'd rather be here than in the hospital. And that was kind of like their way of saying, hey, you could be sick right now, so you should want to be here. But to me, that's not a very good comparison because nobody wants to be in the hospital. So I think you should say your favorite thing and say, I'd rather be here than be doing my favorite thing. Amen? just says, this sounds better. Okay. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read all of the verses. Today's message is, our God is a jealous God. So our God is a jealous God is the title, starting in verse 1. Excuse me. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. So does everybody understand where I got the, uh, the subject for today's message? Amen. I need you guys to wake up a little bit. Okay, amen. Thank you. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the Holy Mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of the people at that time, but will will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty, This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says, You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets who were there when the foundations was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Before that time, there were no wages for man or beast. No one could go about this business safely because of his enemy. For I had turned every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drip their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. As you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so will I save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judea. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak true to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor. And do not, do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions, happy festivals for Judah and those who love truth and peace. <clears throat> Excuse me, how many want to see the fast become feasts? Amen? How many would like to have a 21-day feast uh, every time SUM wants to call a fast? Wouldn't that be awesome? We'll, we'll ask them if they'll consider that. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
many people and the inhabitants of many of excuse me many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say let us go at once to entreat the lord and and seek the lord almighty i myself am going and many peoples and powerful nations will come to jerusalem to seek the lord almighty and to entreat her this is what the lord almighty says in those days Ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. Amen? So let's just talk about this passage right here. I just wanted to read the whole thing. I think I'll do that right now from this point on and not really worry about the time, because we all just love Jesus anyway. Amen? This is what Bible college is for. So looking at the beginning verses, God says that he's jealous for them. That's going to be our text. And I'm going to explain to you throughout the entire Bible that our God is a jealous God. And it's because of his jealousy that they uh, were punished. Because they sinned against God, he said, how dare you do that to me? I've created you. I've done all of this for you. You've done this to me. Now I'm going to punish you. And you're going to see how that works out in just a moment. But continuing for there... From there, he says, now my jealousy towards you is actually going to be a good thing because he says that now he's going to protect Israel. He loves them. He's jealous for them. He doesn't want them to stay punished in Babylon. He wants them to finish the temple, as it mentions down there in verse 9, that the temple was being built, but they had to stop building it because enemies were coming against him. But he says, I love you. I'm jealous for you. I'm going to let you build in safety. Even the beast is going to receive it's wage, so you're going to be able to feed your little dog or cattle or ox right now because you know, before I guess they couldn't feed them. Then you continue on down, verse 12. It says that God's going to bless the land of Israel. They're going to begin to prosper and grow, and their um, agricultural business is going to succeed. He says that he's not going to treat them like he used to as when they were sinning against him, but now he's going to bless them. Moving on down to verse 18. He says these fasts, they used to do five, and they were all for mourning, you know, mourning different things that had happened, like we talked about last uh, chapel where we said to hell with religion because these guys were so religious. They were fasting all the time thinking that God was, was going to uh, have pity on them, but actually their sin had already brought his judgment, and the fasts weren't doing anything anyway. And so now he's saying, hey, your fasts are going to now become feasts, praise the Lord. And then uh, in verse 20, he talks about how the rest of the nations are going to get excited about the prosperity of Jerusalem in this new temple and that they're going to say to each other and cities are going to say to each other, hey, let's go to Jerusalem and let's hang out with God. And then it says ten foreigners, ten Gentiles are going to grab the robe of one Jew and say, take me with you to Jerusalem because we know God is with you. Now, when you see all of this, we know it's a prophecy that is being fulfilled in their lifetime. Zechariah is prophesying to the people rebuilding the second temple. Amen? And we know that many of this, most of this, is going to happen in their lifetime. But as you begin to read through it, and you begin to see just how great this prophecy is, do you ever really see this happening in the second temple? Not really, because you see them having a little bit of freedom here, and then within a little while, they begin to uh, go through the, the transferring of power to Persia, then Persia gets taken over by Greece, and then they 
kind of break three from Greece for a little bit. Then Syria takes them over. And then after Syria takes them over, Rome takes them over. And so when you see Jesus come on the scene some 400 years after this, do you see old people walking around with canes, the children's playing in the street, this great harvest of agriculture, uh, people grabbing Jews by the hem, saying, take me with you to Jerusalem, I want to seek God? No. And so what you see here, is this is a now and future prophecy, now and future. And many of the messianic prophecies are like that when you deal with the Psalms, okay? So take, for example, like David says in the Psalms, my enemies have surrounded me, you know, they've pierced me, and all of this. Well, this can relate to David poetically describing his situation in the now, but it's also setting a futuristic thing that's going to happen later. We know that's with Jesus, right? So many of the messianic prophecies are like that. They're happening in the now. To us a child is given, to us a child is born. Someone was thinking now that was going to be a king, someone now. And, and, and for some ways that, that those prophecies were coming true to them. In some ways, Isaiah, in some ways, the, the, the Messianic prophecies and Psalms, there's always that, that relevant issue. This is happening now, okay? But there's the futuristic sense where it can only be God doing something in the future. And so where do I believe all of this is happening I believe this is happening in the last days. Now, if we uh, look at our, you know, eschological chart, the idea that we go from the rapture to the tribulation to Armageddon to the great white throne judgment, what I'm thinking this is happening is when God dwells among men after Armageddon and there's still mankind on the earth, the New Jerusalem is here with Jesus, and we're reigning as kings and priests, and people are grabbing a hold of us saying, we want to go where God is. That's my personal belief. So I believe this is a prophecy that's going to come to pass in the future after the Messiah. Now, others could say this happens through the Messiah, because I've read some commentators, and they believe now the people who are grabbing a hold of us are the Christian uh, the Gentiles as we're preaching in other nations like in Africa, Pakistan, and they're grabbing hold of us. And Jerusalem is the church, and they're saying, "Bring us to the church because we know God is with you. Bring us to the church." Then there are others that that may believe that this refers to the time during the tribulation when the Jews get to build their temple and they begin to see sacrifices done there, and the Antichrist comes and makes a sacrifice there, and then they realize that their temple is not where God is anymore, but the temple is inside of them, and the Jews begin to be these end-time witnesses, 144,000 of them preaching the gospel, and then during that time people are grabbing a hold of them saying, take us to you know, where God is. So whether or not you just see this as being everything pertaining to the rebuilding of the second temple, whether you see this pertaining to the millennial reign of Christ, the Jewish people during the uh, time of tribulation, or to the Christian church as a whole at any period of time, it doesn't matter because the bottom line is this prophecy did fulfill in, in most of its parts in a, in, a, in a way that the people could see that God kept his word to them. He brought them back from the nations. He gave them prosperity, and he began to bless them. Amen? Now, let's talk about how God is jealous for us. Go to uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and let us learn about God and his jealousy. Now, the first thing I'm sure that you'll want to know is the definition of jealousy. Does it mean something different than what you're thinking it means? And no, really, it doesn't. I looked it up in the Hebrew. There's a couple different words for it. Um, we as 
Christian theologians have come up with ways to apply it to God to make it sound better. One of the definitions that is given by, I believe, Thayer's word um, dictionary is God is jealous in the sense that God is the ultimate prize and he's, he's an avenger to those who reject him. So that's where his jealousy comes from. So uh, the way Thayer was looking at it was that, you know, God is the ultimate treasure and then for you to reject him, he takes that so personal that he'll judge you and that's how jealous is defined. But you don't even have to be deep like that. You can just say he envies what we go after. Whatever we go after other than him, he's envious of us and he's envious of the idols and the things we go after. And I'm going to show this to you so plainly that there's just no way around it. Now you have to understand that this belief right here turns people off. This is the belief that turned Oprah Winfrey off from God. And I've told you guys that before, but if you've never heard that, you know, she was sitting in church one day. She says, I wish I could play the video if we had time. But she's sitting in church. She hears the preacher say, our God is a jealous God. She thinks to herself, how could God be jealous? You know, he has everything. You know, this sounds like a human attribute. It sounds like people are trying to make God out to be in the image of man and uh, tricking people into the religion. Because why would God be jealous? That was her rationale. And from that point on, she stopped believing solely in the God of the Bible. She began to believe in this New Age concept. Because it just comes across so harsh to some. I am a jealous God. And you're going to start hearing scriptures that really make it sound even harsher. Look at Exodus 20, verse 5. If you're there, say, I'm there. I have about 15 scriptures to go through, so we're going to move quickly. Amen? You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Hello? If you didn't think Zechariah freaked you out by God saying he's jealous. How about right here? The jealousy of God established in the covenant with Moses. He is saying, I'm a jealous God to the point that if you cheat on me, not only am I going to judge you, I'm going to judge your children. And not only am I going to judge your children, I'm going to judge your children's children's children. Imagine that. Now, you might think to yourself right here, Well, why can God do this and man can't? Because man is commanded not to be jealous. Man is commanded not to be jealous towards another man. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. So why is it God has given permission to covet, to be jealous, to envy, to have rage of jealousy? Why is He able to do that and we're not? Because He's God and He's in perfect state of love and perfect state of justice. So he's able to be exactly that emotion without any wrong motive. And the Bible is saying that when we get involved in that motive, uh, get involved in that uh, emotion, our motives are, are always wrong. Because, you know, take, for example, the, the man who's jealous because his wife cheats on him. He says, you shouldn't have done that to me. Now I'm jealous. And God's saying, you know, don't be jealous. Let her go. Forgive her. Well, if he is jealous then what he's trying to say is, you know, I'm perfect. How could she leave me? Nobody else is better than me. And maybe he's not looking at his own faults. I'm not saying it's his fault, but I'm just giving an example. She found something, obviously, that that man didn't have, right? Are you all following me? Are you up this morning? I'm not saying it's right, but just follow the thinking. So that woman found something 
in another man that that man didn't have. Whatever it was, for whatever reason. And so God is saying, you don't have the right to be jealous in that case. Well, why does he have the right to be jealous? Because there is nothing that you could want that anybody else would ever have for any reason. Think about that. There is nothing, 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 zero, nothing, not one thing that someone else could have that God does not have that is good for you. Think about that. You know, maybe a woman could look at her husband and look at Brad Pitt and say, well, you know, this one might be a little better looking than my husband. This one might be a little bit nicer than my husband. This one might be a little bit more romantic. When it comes to God and we look away from God, there is nothing, no one, no devil, no demon, no idol, not one thing out there, not one created being in heaven or on earth anywhere at any time that will have one thing over on God at any time. So God is saying, I have the right to be jealous because you're acting as a fool. You're acting in foolishness, going to something else, going to another God that cannot please you, cannot take care of you, cannot provide for you like the way I do. And He says, I will punish you for that because I am perfect love and I'm perfect justice, perfect holiness. Amen? Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. He's going to take it one step further. Exodus 34, 14. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So imagine us praying, you are the lily of the valley, you are the bright and morning star, your name is Jealous. Come on. Why are we not saying that, Adolfo, when we're preaching and praying? We need to say it. His name is Jealous. Because He is the ultimate prize. There's nothing greater than Him. And to turn your back on Him will enrage Him. You see, I think we get the wrong idea of who God is. Many times we think about God as being that, that I always got to give this example, that old man that's been out in the rain in that black and white movie. He has his trench coat on. He's taken off his top hat. The water's running down his face. He knocks on the door. He's shivering as the person answers the door. And he says, may I come in, ma'am? Might I have a bit of tea with you? You know, like we, we look at him like he's just this old, rattered and torn Jesus God figure. No, he is a conquering king who comes to your door, kicks it down with the horse, and then says, bow down and worship me. Don't do it any other way, my friends. If you don't bow down and worship him, he's going to conquer you. That's the way our God is. And, and I'm telling you, He has the right to be that way. Why does God have the right to knock on our door like that? Why does God have the right to punish people who reject Him? Because He's the Creator of us. Now, if He's not the Creator of us, then He's just no different than Peter Pan. And, well, you know, why is Peter Pan jealous if I like Batman better? Right? Well, I, I like I like Zeus better than Jesus. Well, you have Zeus, I uh, Jesus, I have Buddha. No, if he actually created us, if he actually put the sun in its place, the stars in the sky, made us out of nothing, created us in his own image, then we better serve him. 
And anything other than that is stupidity that will enrage Him and have Him judge us because we're sitting on His planet. We're operating with the oxygen He gives us to sin against Him. Come on, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. Our God is a jealous God. I get excited when I start talking about how awesome He is. Amen? I'm on the right side. Amen? Whose side are you on? Amen? I'm on His team. I got Jesus. I am not letting Him go. I'm not trading Him for dollars and gold and shekels and women and things of this flesh and my own ambitions. I want Jesus. If loving Jesus is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now you've got to understand, Zechariah comes after the captivity. And why did the captivity come? Because the people of Israel broke the covenant. Well, did God tell them at the beginning who He was? He told them at the beginning who He was. He says, look, do not mess with these other gods. I will punish you. I will consume you. He warned them. He told him in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you do this, you're blessed. You do this, you're cursed. And so that's why Zechariah is coming in chapter 8 saying, hey, you're coming out of captivity now, and you need to remember why you went in there because your God is a jealous God. And his jealousy does turn towards love and kindness towards us. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But understand, this is all the covenant of Moses that they broke. Look at Deuteronomy 5 9. Remember what was the biggest sin of the Israelite people? Idolatry, worshiping other gods. Deuteronomy 5 9. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the Father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Deuteronomy 6.15, For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and His anger will burn against you, and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Does anybody have any question to who God is and what He can do? Did He not tell us? It's like my parents telling me, you keep doing that, I'm going to kick your butt, and then I'm going to kick you out the house. And when my dad pulled out the belt, it wasn't a surprise. Amen? It was like, I told you I was going to do this. Nobody else got whooped here, I guess. Amen? I got whooped. My dad told me he was going to whoop me. My mom didn't. She just slapped me just just out the middle of nowhere. I was sitting one time in the backseat of a car. My mom gave me no warning, took off her shoe, beat me with it, put it back on, and kept driving, never even stopped. And just sitting there black and blue and all of that. But that's just my mom telling me. She said, I told you once, don't mess with me. That was enough. But my dad would tell me, look, you keep doing this, you keep doing this. I will, I will whoop you. I will beat you. I will punish you. And then I will kick you out the house. Well, was it any surprise when I kept doing drugs, kept disrespecting my mother, that I would catch a licking from my dad and get kicked out the house? No. Well, was it any surprise that the people of Israel went into captivity? No, he kept telling them. If you worship these gods, I am jealous. My anger will burn against you and I'll destroy you from this land. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, 16. What made him angry back then? Just at the very beginning, they couldn't even keep themselves faithful to him. Verse uh, 30, chapter 32, verse 16. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. That's during the time of the covenant. 
Here Moses goes up to the uh, goes up to the mountain, and Aaron makes a golden calf. They already start making God angry right there and then while they're receiving the covenant. Come on, go on down to chapter. Uh, I mean, verse twenty-one. Chapter 32, verse 21, same chapter. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. So they're saying, you know what? God is saying, I'm going to have other people come in and judge you and punish you, and they're going to be even jealous of you because you had a relationship with me and they did it, and they're going to be angry with you because of that. Like, how dumb are you? Here God set you free from the Egyptians, and now you're worshiping these gods. How dumb are you? That's what he's saying. Now look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 19. Moving on down. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. Imagine somebody telling you that God will not forgive you if you keep messing with Him. Wouldn't that put the fear of God in you? You see, we got this idea, well, we know Jesus loves us, we know Jesus forgives us, and it is another covenant. It's a different day than when these boys were around right here. It is a little bit different, because Jesus does say, I will forgive all your sins. But just understand that there's still a time when the sinner doesn't get forgiveness anymore. There's a time that when he sins... That it's over for him. And God says, you're done. And when he dies, God says, you had your chances. It's over. You see, some people think when they get to heaven, they're going to ask God for forgiveness. No. You had your chance on this earth. You had your chances down here. Everybody's going to come to a point where God says, okay, you've had your chances. That's it. Judgment time. And he's going to look right at him and he's going to say, there's no more forgiveness for you. It's over. It's done. Now go on down to Psalms. Chapter 78, verse 58, the time of David. Psalm 78, verse 58. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Psalms 97, 5. How long, O Lord, will you be angry for, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? My friends, the first lesson I want you to learn about God's jealousy is God does not want you to worship another God. Number one, all those scriptures point to the old covenant and the lesson applies to us today. God does not want you to worship another God. I want you to see the application in the New Testament. Go to James chapter 4. For our God is still a jealous God. Amen? It's not our God was a jealous God. Our God is a jealous God. James chapter 4, verse 4. I was watching Joel Osteen the other day. I was wondering why he didn't read this one. Read the scripture and all of the stories he was telling about growing up on the farm. I wonder why he didn't start off with this. You adulterous people. How many would like to see Joel Osteen preach the gospel? Amen. Pray for that man. I would love for him just to stand up in front of all those people and just read the Bible one time. Amen? Telling people the truth. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? And some people are like, well, where does it say that? Where, where does it say that? Because there's no reference. And if you look at your footnote, there's no reference there. The reference is the 20 Scriptures I just read to you. That's the, the reference is, hey guys, do you remember what happened to the Jewish people? He told you his name is Jealous. He told you that's his name. Or do you think the Scripture says without reason the Spirit He calls to live in us envies us intensely, but He gives us more grace? This is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. So in the New Testament, does our God show us that He's still a jealous God? Now, you know what I love here? Is that it doesn't say that we're adulterous people because we sit down and, and worship Zeus. You know, by the time of the New Testament, most people had realized that Zeus didn't live on Mount Olympus. Most of the people realized that there wasn't a God of the sea. They began to realize that their idolatry was actually ridiculous, that it had no truth behind it. So by the time of the New Testament, do you know what became the idolatry of man? Do you know what would take men away? The world. The desires of the world. The pleasures of this world. The power of the world. And is that not still 2,000 years later what we deal with today? This culture? This culture doesn't set up for you at the checkout counter, guys, a picture of Ganesh, a picture of Buddha, and say, worship this. No, they have a woman in a bikini on a Maxim magazine cover. Because they're saying, worship this. When young people today go and spend their money, they're not spending their money on juju bees and, and uh, you know, voodoo witchcraft and, and, you know, voodoo dolls and all of these things and Ouija boards. What do they spend their money on? Kanye West tickets and Kanye West CDs and P. Diddy this and P. Diddy that and, and Mariah Carey this and, and you understand what I'm saying? Pink music this. And they're buying all this because they're just worshiping the world and the things that those people are talking about. That's the idolatry for the modern man. And God says through the prophet James here, through the writer of this scripture, he says that you are adulterous. As a Christian, as a person who says you believe in God, you are adulterous when you have friendship with those evil things that God hates. I give the example like this. You know, we have a Latino and Latina people in this congregation. Imagine if they came out with a movie... Killing the Latinos. And it just showed a man just hacking down Latinos. Are you Latino? Yes, si, senor. And just killed them. And then, and then somebody like me, a gringo, said to you, Hey guys, hey hermanos and hermanas, you want to go see the movie? That would offend you. Come on, if there were African American people here, and I was like, Hey, you want to come to the KKK rally with me? Come on, it's okay, it'll be fun. Think about it. You see, when we say to God, 
Hey God, watch this movie with us. And that movie hates God. That movie turns its back on God. That movie is sinful and wicked in God's eyes. God is saying, why are you bringing me to that? That's offensive to me. And when we say to God, as sinners do on the street, well, I'm going to be in adultery. I'm going to have sex outside of marriage. I'm going to use these vulgar words. I'm going to have the jealousy and bitterness in my heart towards other people. God is saying, why are you taking me to places that are offensive to me? Why are you doing things that are offensive to me? He says, when you do that, you become my enemy. Just as if I did that to you. Just as if I did that to you, an African-American person. You would say, no, dude, we are not friends anymore. I'm not coming to no KKK rally with you. We are now enemies. I'm not your friend anymore. That's what God is saying. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That would be like, bringing home a girlfriend to Nancy, saying, Nancy, uh, I want you to meet my girlfriend. Girlfriend, I want you to meet my wife. How many know they would become enemies? How many know that my wife and I would become enemies? And we want to do that with God. We want to say, God, here's, you know, here's this music, here's this movie, here's this culture, here's this way of living. I want to do this and have you too. And God says, you can't have it both ways. He says, either I'm Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. He says, you can't serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. He's telling you, I'm a jealous God. I won't share you with another God. I won't share you with this world. I won't share you with alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography. Share you with bitterness and and envy and selfish ambition. He will not share you. He wants all of you. Which is now bringing us to the second point. God's jealousy comes from love. God loves you with a love that is jealous because he knows he's the best thing for you. So it's not only he's jealous when you go other places and do dumb things. He's jealous over us because he just loves us that much. He loves us so intensely that he wants to bless us as his creation. He wants to take care of us as his children. As a matter of fact, the words in the English language can't get any more intimate. He calls himself our father. Just like a father would have the, the, the tendency to be jealous. If I, if I went around to another man that I didn't even know, and I started calling him dad, my dad would get jealous. Just because of that, he would say, why are you calling another man dad? He didn't take care of you. He wasn't there for you. But God calls us a father. Why? Because he loves us that much. Look at Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, is a passage of Scripture that talks about a man and a a woman falling in love. And this is where we get that song from, and I love it, from Misty Edwards. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Come on, somebody help me. How does it go? Uh, I'll set you as a seal. How does it go? How do we get the tune? As a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon my arm. For there is love that is as strong as death, jealousy mending as the grave. And many waters cannot quench this love. 
Amen. Look at it. Place me like a seal over your heart. Thank you for that. Like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. You see, the second thing that you begin to learn as we see in Zechariah is that God became so jealous of his people's suffering. He said, you know, I'm going to take care of you. I can't let go of you. I can't give up on you. I have to bring you back to Jerusalem. I have to bring the holy mountain here. I have to dwell among you because I'm jealous for you. I created you to be with me. And how does that apply to our lives? Look at John 3.16. Never let this passage of Scripture get old to us. Look at John 3.16 and now understand it as a God saying to you, I'm not going to let you stay in the world. I'm not going to let you you know, stay with your little few dollars and a relationship, whatever you define life as, just with your family, friends, and a good job. God says, I'm going to come and save you. I'm going to send my son, 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why is God sending his son? Because he wants to rescue us from this world. Why? Because he loves us. And his jealousy burns like a fire to purify us. So not only does the fire come for judgment to destroy, as we know fire can, a nuclear bomb can, but we also know a fire can make gold and and precious metals pliable and usable. And so now this fire becomes a good thing, that He loves us. He's burning within us the evil that's in our hearts so that we can be close to Him and have a relationship with Him because He's a jealous God and there's nobody better than Him. And when we turned our back on Him, He still came looking for us. Look at um, next scripture. Look at Zechariah chapter one, the beginning of our section of Zechariah. Some of us didn't remember this, and I needed to be reminded as I was looking through the the, um, the text again. Look at Zechariah chapter one, verse fourteen. That's how he starts off these prophecies. It says, Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. But I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will return to Jerusalem with what? With mercy. And there my house will be rebuilt. And the line stretched out over Jerusalem declares the Lord Almighty. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 17, My towns will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord again will comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Now going back to Zechariah chapter 8, he says, I am very jealous for Zion. Verse 1, I am burning with jealousy for her. I will return to Zion, dwell in Jerusalem. You see, why is God having mercy on these people? Because out of His jealousy, He loves them. He does not want them to remain where they are. And so what is that to us? God will not let you go easily. You know that if you try to backslide from the Lord, you will have to trample on His blood, grieve the Holy Spirit, slap pastors in the face, call block your friends. Amen? Because God is going to go after you. He doesn't want you to to remain in that place. I'm thinking of right now a young man that some of you know who, who had issues with Jesus and he kept dropping in and out of our church and eventually he's turned into an atheist or, or an unbeliever. And some of you know who I'm talking about. But you know what? I'm still reaching out to him. I'm still sending him emails. 
I'm asking him to go out for coffee. Why? Because I don't want him to perish. And where does that heart come from? comes from love and where does God uh, where do I get that heart of love from God look with me to first Peter you see we know that ultimately God will judge this entire world second uh, uh, Peter rather chapter 3 but he does not take pleasure in damning eternal souls to hell at this point he is wanting grace and mercy to be poured out on them Look at Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why? Because every bit of this creation is important to Him. Was Hitler important to Him? Yes, He was patient with Hitler. Was He patient? With the gangbangers. Yes. Was he patient with you? Is he being patient now with our friends and neighbors who don't know the Lord? Yes. Why is he not sending Armageddon and great balls of fire from heaven on them right now? Because he's being patient with them. Why? Because he loves his creation. And ultimately, I talked a little bit about it yesterday, Sunday, but I want to remind you and just put a little twist on it. Ultimately, why does Satan hate us so much? Because we are made in God's image and He is jealous of us. The angels are not made in the image of God. We are the only creation. So why did Satan want Adam and Eve to fall? Because he doesn't want them to have a place with God that he himself doesn't. Because no matter how great Gabriel and Michael and Lucifer were, they'll never have the place that we have. And so what does he do? He brings sin upon us. And like I've said, he, he like goes down into the sewage, the place where, where we flush our toilet, where it goes, and he puts his hand on that, and he tempts us with it, and he puts a little, you know, CK1 cologne on it, and he makes it look good. And then once we are enticed by it, he smears it all over us. And then he says to a holy, just God, now what are you going to do? And you see, at that point, that's why the Father sends Jesus to wash us clean with his blood. And then the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit look at us, the creation that, that they have made, and, and they see us then going back into our sin, and it grieves the heart of God. That's why Christians are to turn from their sins. That's why we're not to, to love sin. That's why it's not supposed to be something where I can just do and get away with it and go back and repent. Oh, because God forgives me. No, we're supposed to hate it because He's jealous of us. You know, would, would I forgive my wife, you know, if she looked at pornography? Would she forgive me? Yes. But why would I want to do that to her? Imagine the hurt that that would cause. Why? Why would we want to put people we love through those things? How much more with God? Amen? And number three, God's jealousy towards the world. If they do not repent... If they do not accept Him, if they allow the devil to smear that junk all over them and they never receive forgiveness, turn with me now to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. Now the jealousy turns back to a raging fire of judgment upon all the nations. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. 
I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, and all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. My friends, do you know that when this place is set on fire for the new earth to come, do you know that that fire is from His jealousy? Zephaniah 3.8 says He will gather all of the nations and say, It is done. And as that fire is burning, it comes from His jealousy. He says, I made a covenant with Israel. They broke it, but I was merciful to them. All the world was under sin. I sent Jesus and I was merciful again. And you rejected me. Now you'll receive the fullness of my anger. My friends, I don't want to be there that day. I want to be in His presence. I want you to look to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22 and see how Paul was telling the people, hey, you do not want to arouse the Lord's jealousy. Not at this time. You especially didn't want to do it in the Old Covenant when His judgment lasted 70 years with Babylon. You thought that was bad. But He's saying you don't want to do it now because this time the raging fire destroys you. Destroys the earth. There is no more second chances, my friends. 1 Corinthians 10.22 Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Why was He saying that to them? Because they were sacrificing to idols and they were going to prostitutes and they were getting all crazy. And and Paul was reminding them, hey, go back to the prophets because there's a raging fire coming upon the nations. And now in closing, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11.2. I as a pastor, as a minister... I'm jealous for you, and you as leaders and ministers need to be jealous for your people in the same way God is jealous for them. It's called a godly jealousy. I'm not talking about being jealous if they go to another church or choose another youth group. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you see them turn away from God, you become jealous of whatever their heart is going towards, and you say, I'm going to do whatever I can to turn them back to God. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.2. I am jealous for you, Metro Praise, S-U-M. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. And I ain't letting nobody touch you. Amen. I got a shotgun and a wife beater shirt that says otherwise. Amen. What you say, boy? You ain't touching this daughter right here. This is mine. This is my church. The Lord's church and I stand guard here. What you going to do, boy? You know that that cane of a shepherd's rod, that little candy cane looking thing, it's got that cute little arch right there. Pull gently in the sheep. Sometimes you got to pull a little harder. Come on, Dito, come on. But you turn that thing around, that thing becomes a, a, a beat-you-down club. Amen? On the other side of that little nice little curve right there is a strong back club that those shepherds would fight wild beasts and animals with. And so I first want you to hear that from my heart today. 
as a director, that I am jealous for you and your love for God, that I do not want you to give that to anybody else. That I want you to fulfill your call. That I want you to be all that God has given you to be. If you become right now a mayor, a president, I'll be disappointed and hurt and jealous for what you're doing because God didn't call you that. He gave you a higher calling. I would rather you preach to four people in, in a hut somewhere and, and think that the world doesn't know about you and you're unsuccessful in the world's eyes than for you to become the, the next uh, Martin Luther King and miss what God has for you. You see, because nothing can compare to the call that God has on your life. And so as a director, I am jealous for that call with you, with a godly jealousy. I don't want you to trade that for anything else. It would break my heart to watch any of you not only trade your calling, but also to to turn your back on God in some way. And I'm reminded of other SUM students who graduated SUM and now they're backslidden. I'm reminded of some of them who lost their faith in the Lord and they've become lukewarm. and, And now the Bible says his jealousy burns for them with wrath and anger. I don't want to see that happen to you. As a leader here, I want to see you make it. I want to see, like how I've been in 10 plus years ministry, I want you to be in 10 plus years, and then I'll be in 20 plus years, and then Brother Anthony will be in 30 plus years, Shikaboomba, and we'll just go to glory with Jesus. And then now for you, I want you to have a heart of jealousy, godly jealousy for your people, for the people you're ministering to. Not that, like I said, you become in a worldly sense jealous of another church or things of the flesh, but that you would become jealous if you hear them not reading their Bible but listening to their music. And they don't come to church, but they hang out with their friends. And they don't want to be in discipleship, but they want to give their attention to everything else. You know what? You should Your heart should burn with God's jealousy for them and begin to talk to them and persuade them and say, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to waste your life on those things. You don't want to do that. See, that's what a preacher of the gospel has to have in their heart, is that heart of jealousy that God has for them. And it burns with love. And and it says, I love you no matter what. I'm not okay with you falling away. I'm not okay with you turning your back on God. I'm going to be here until you push call block on the phone and put a restraining order against me. I'm going to keep knocking at your door, amen, until i got to stand a thousand yards away from you and shout it with the megaphone. And I have loved somebody that much until they threatened me with the restraining order. Then at that point, God just said, it's over. I, you, you now got to let them go, just like he let go of Israel. But I've gone that far until somebody said, look, if you don't leave us alone and my family, we're going to put a restraining order on you. Why? Because my heart burns with jealousy for them. I didn't want them giving their love to anybody else but God. I didn't want them to give their precious treasure to anybody else with God because there's nothing more than what the devil would like to do is take your precious testimony, your precious treasure, and then just run it all through the mud and use it to accuse God and say, look, this is your servant. Look at them. They don't really love you. Look how they turn their back on you. I don't want to be an object of God's scorn. I want to be what He loves passionately. And I want you to be that, and I want you to preach that to your people. Amen? Would you stand up with me? Amen. Was Lilani not feeling well today? Oh, she... Okay, I'm sorry. Would um, someone who... uh, Let's go to the guitar. Can we do that? Amen? Somebody who knows how to play an instrument up here, would you come? (laughs) Thank you, my brother. Oh, bless the Lord. Let's just pray. Father, we thank You today that Your jealousy burns with an unyielding love for us. 
that your love didn't give up on us when we said we didn't want you. You didn't stop with asking us one time. You kept knocking at the door of our hearts. And now, Lord, we pray that, God, we would search our hearts to make sure that there's nothing that comes in the way of us loving you with all of our heart. Come on, as we're about ready to pray and seek our hearts right now, I want you to think about this. Your heart is not a condominium. You don't say to the world, well, you can have, you know, the first floor. I'll give God the second floor. No, God is saying He wants all your heart. Your heart's not a bedroom where you say to the world, I'll stuff you under the bed where no one can see you, and then I'll let God have the other parts. No, God wants to flip your bed upside down and have the whole thing. So I want you to search your heart right now. Is there anything in your heart that goes towards this world and God says, Oh, I want that. I want your entertainment. I want your dream. I want your ambition. I want your family. You see, you hold on to anything, God becomes jealous of that. God says, why are you holding on to that? Come on, He wants it all. Jesus. Do you know how to play the song that we were singing? Yes, play that for us, please. And then I want you to begin to seek the Lord as we sing this song, not only for you, but for this school, for the cohorts and the campuses around this country, that everyone will have a heart for God, that we will let Him consume us, and that we will become leaders that look after our people like the way God looks at us, the way Paul said he had a godly jealousy for them. Jesus, You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Go and set your guitar down. I'll play it. Come on. You won't relent. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Come on, sing it again. You won't relent. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Come on, sing it again. You won't relent. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. I'll send you as a seal on my arm. A seal upon my arm. For there is love that is as strong as death. Jealousy demanding as the grave And many waters Cannot quench this love Hallelujah Lord, waters cannot quench this love Oh, cannot quench this 
His love won't land until you have it all. My heart is yours. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. I set you as a seal. Set you as a seal upon my heart. As a seal upon my heart. For there is love that is as strong as death. Jealousy demanding as the grave. And many waters cannot quench this love. Come on, we yield ourselves to God today. All of it. All of it, Jesus. Hallelujah. And come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Come be the fire inside of me. Until you and I are one. Come be. Come on up here, Davi, as we sing it. Light of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Come be the fire inside of me. Come on, flame strong, brother. We're going to sing it one more time, and then you're just going to cry out to God, tell Him how much you love Him. Come on. And come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Come be the fire inside of me. Jesus, you and... Come on, for the next 60 seconds, just lift up your voices. Hallelujah. Turn me up, brother, a whole bunch. Let's just shout out to God and tell Him how much we love Him. Give me guitar and vocals, drums. Let's just praise God in this place. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, 
Come on. Keep shouting out to God. Fifteen more seconds. Oh, oh, oh. We love you. We love you, God. We love you. We love you. We love you. Love you. We love you. Hey, 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 hey. Inside of me, come be the flame Want you, we need you, oh God. Oh, 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 oh. Don't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Don't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Come be the fire. Come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Come be the fire inside of me until you and I are one. God our school God take over our school God may this school be a holy school for you oh my God oh 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 God may we have a godly jealousy for the nations oh my God may we not give up God may we not give up God May we look at the Mexican people, God, and say there's better for them. There's better for those that are in Honduras. Oh, God, that we will pray for them with a godly jealousy. God, that we would pray for Pakistan with a godly jealousy. 
God, that we would lift up Nigeria without any God reservation. We will proclaim that you are the best thing for Nigeria. Come on. You are the best thing for India, oh God. You are the best thing for Chicago, Lord. Hallelujah. Sue Ellen, why don't you just take the mic and pray for a little bit, and we're just going to lift up these nations, and we're just going to pray that God will come and just set them free with the jealousy of His love. Amen. Jesus, you are able, God. You are able to do whatever you desire, God, all across this land, God. We declare freedom, God. Freedom over your people, God. Let the blind see, Lord. Bring the lost, God, into the light, oh Lord. Set the captives free, God. Only you can go the distance, God. We pray that you use us, God to prepare us, dear God, to reach people for your kingdom, Lord. Father God, I lift up Honduras to you, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's have Adam come up and pray for the nations. Amen. Hallelujah, Father God, Lord. We lift up the nations to you, Father God. Father God, we lift up Mexico, God. We lift up India, Pakistan, Nigeria, oh God. And those to come, oh God, Lord. We claim India. Father God, we claim England, oh God. God, we claim China, oh God. That you would raise up radical leaders, oh God. To go forth and spread your word, Father God. To go and lay hands on the sick to go and cast out the demons, Father God. Lord, we prepare the way of the kingdom, of the glory. Oh, Father God, we ask that you rain down your Holy Spirit in us, oh God. Father God, to send us out to the nations, oh God. Oh, Father, to go to the places where no one wants to go. Father, we'll go if you want us there. Lord, God, I ask that you just prepare us, oh God, for the nations, oh God. For the nations, oh God, those people, God, those people right now, oh Lord, they need you now, God. They need you now. They need you now, oh God. Build up leaders, oh God, that will be faithful to your word, faithful to the call, faithful to your word, oh God, and listening to when you say go to go, oh God. Father, I ask for a boldness, oh God, the boldness that will consume us, oh God. I ask more of the Holy Spirit, oh God, to lead us in our endeavors, oh God, when we go forth. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, because, Lord, you said to ask for the harvest and you will give us, oh God. You said to ask of the nations, God, and you will give it. And, Father God, you are giving it to us, Father God. And we go forth in full faith, in full faith, relying on your strength, relying on your power, relying on solely you, God, to lead the way. And, Father God, we know that we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's lift up a big shout of praise. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Slap your neighbor high five and say for the nations. 